Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Just Chadwick. I'm Todd Snyder. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We're recording this on the evening of March 27th, 2016. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about the latest version of C Sharp, C Sharp 6. Uh, before we get into that, though, I wanted to take a minute just to kind of talk about one of the things that I've been working on. I've actually released a free TypeScript book on LeanPub. And LeanPub's model is pretty cool. It actually allows you to write a book in Markdown and then publish to PDF and EPUB and everything automatically and then let people download the published book for free, but also allow people who really, really want to give you money to all do that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's it's been really cool. Um, it looked cool. So the book is called Essential TypeScript. And if you want to check it out, you can go to leanpub.com slash essential typescript. And if you want to give me money, you can do that too. Or you can just decide to, uh, quote, buy the book for free. It was pretty neat. I was pretty impressed with LeanPub. I mean, you know, they didn't give us anything to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, hey, I, I published here and I was really impressed it with was, it. It was easy to find. Yeah. and Yeah, right. No, yeah, no, it, right. Yeah. This is This is totally... I literally Googled like write a book in Markdown or something like that. And lean pub came out and it was, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. You just check into GitHub, you check in your Markdown files into GitHub and they have the whole uh, commit hooks and everything. And it automatically goes and grabs the latest creates a PDF. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very, it sounds like it's very easy to work with. H yeah, having written yeah. a book before, sometimes it's challenging to <laughs> uh, yeah. work directly with uh, editors and things. Yeah. They were, they were talking about um, some of the, some people use it to basically like take all their blog posts and turn them into like a compilation, which obviously isn't like really as thought out or whatever as a book, but like getting your ideas just into a book, into a PDF that people can kind of easily move around rather than kind of clicking through blog posts. It's a pretty interesting idea. There was someone who once did that. I'm not going to mention his name, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he actually published, he published all a bunch of blog posts and after a while he decided to make two books were kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, commentary to the blog post, but it was interesting that some way you could take blog post and actually make it into a book people wanted to buy. Yeah. So, so it's a pretty cool pretty cool approach. Um so now let's get it getting back to uh C# Sharp 6 here. So when we first started the podcast, we all kind of agreed, the three of us kind of agreed that we would do whatever we could um, to discuss, to avoid discuss discussing code on the show. Right. Like avoiding saying things like, uh, you know, using yep. open parentheses var <laughs> file equals file dot open, open parentheses file name, close, but right. Like people just would not be able to follow along with that. And so that rule is still definitely in effect. <laughs> But in this episode, we're going to be just like stepping right up to that line. And so I, I really hope that we don't go over it. But, you know, with that disclaimer in place, let's we can jump right into it. We'll get started talking about C Sharp 6. Yep. Um, so we'll wrap our stuff with a try-catch block in case we, we go too far. Right? <laughs> exactly. We'll catch our things. We'll just unwind it. Exactly. Right? And we can, we can throw an, an await into the finally, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we already did it. So, Chris... I think that uh, you, you came up with like just a list of, of everything, right? You want to just like run through that real quick and then we can kind of circle back and yeah. get into each yeah. of them. Yeah, so the first thing about C Sharp 6 is I think it really was kind of the uh, first release built on the, the Roslyn platform, which Microsoft, you know, they talked about that for years, that we're rewriting the compiler and we're rewriting it in C Sharp and um, it's going to be awesome. And oh, it's also 
they were working really hard on it being programmable, you know, um, without really getting into the details with an API and, and, and it's enabled a lot of features in the ID and stuff. So I, I feel like that was the first and foremost big feature. But when you talk about the features of the language, there's a, a fairly, I mean, the list that we've got here is just under 10, I think. I'll name a couple of them, like the null conditional, the auto property initializers, the using static feature, string interpolation, expression bodied members. But it might be easier just to go go through them a little bit. Some of them we probably won't spend very much time on. Um, but even like, how do you use it, right? Because we, just before the show, we started talking about, hey, you know, what do you have to have yeah. to use C-sharp 6? That's and, my big uh, question. Yeah, yeah, right. And we did a little research into that because during all of the, the previews and the betas and everything, they said, oh, just fire up Visual Studio 2013 and go get some, you know, a preview and some NuGet packages and you're good to go. So what is it? So in our research, I, I had found uh, references to a NuGet package, right? The, I think it was, I closed it now, microsoft.net.compilers, yep. I think. We can add a link to it in the in the show notes. But this apparently, it allows you to, I haven't used it, um, but this apparently allows you to, it hooks into your build chain to actually allow you to use Rosalind and build your project, uh, build the code. But as you write the code in Visual Studio 2013, you won't get the IntelliSense, even though when you compile it, everything will be fine. And honestly, I don't, for some people that might be good for some people, I guess, who want to like live on the bleeding edge or something. But I don't know. For me, part of the experience, most of the experience is the, the, the compiler, right? I mean, the, the integration with Visual Studio and the IntelliSense and everything. So if I don't have that, I think that might be a deal breaker for yeah. me. Yeah, it would certainly be for me too. Like, I wouldn't even see the value in trying to do there's there's not much stuff here that there's nothing here that says like i got to use this tomorrow it's all interesting but it's definitely not like going to totally change how i write code so yeah. I, I definitely think it's you hinder yourself more than anything else yeah so right. another good thing that i've been having a hard time figuring out is with every version of c sharp usually there's a new version of visual studio right there's also a new version of net so is this only tied to net 4.6 or does it compile down can i run it in 4 or 5 or what, what version of .NET am I tied to? Um, so I think it works on the, the .NET 4 compiler platform because a lot of this is is syntactic sugar, which is actually the same thing that happened in C-sharp 5 as well. I mean, C-sharp 5's big claim to fame, there's more features than this in C-sharp 5, but the big claim to fame was the sync await. That was, that was like the show. Yeah. That was what they kept talking about at all the conferences. And when they re- released it, as they said, you've, you've got to learn to do this asynchronous programming with the async and await keywords. And, and, and so it's like C-sharp 6 doesn't have the pizzazz feature, I think, that, you know, for instance, previously there was like generics and then another time it was link and then another time yeah. it was dynamic. And yeah, this link and Lambda and everything else. Yeah, those were definitely yeah more. And this time, I think it's Roslyn, to be honest. I feel like we've delivered Roslyn and oh, as we, you know, because part of what we did when we delivered Roslyn, and I'm speaking as if like I'm, you know, I'm pretending to be Microsoft here, was was uh, we delivered now a feature of the of the language that, you know, we've got this whole API that you can you can basically um, analyze your code and you can even pluck out statements and you can start writing like analyzers that'll light up light bulbs in the IDE. It was kind of like even giving you this sort of resharperish developer experience. Um, 
and and even talking about how you could your own teams could have their own analyzers maybe to enforce your own style and probably what happened was in order to prove out those features they said well let's implement some stuff <laughs> in the language and uh but some of it is kind of useful like let's start off with with a pretty you know this is one that i usually see come up pretty early it's really straightforward it's just the null conditional access operator and uh, what it's used for is when you are quote unquote dotting into an object where you've got some object like even if you just have a even if you just have a string and and you know you're going to call a method on it well what happens what would happen if that string was null they turn it null exception yep yep <laughs> right we did a whole show on that too right so yeah they were right we the did dreaded dreaded a whole reference exception, exception. <laughs> so the idea was we're all writing we're always writing code saying like well i took a string into this function so the first thing i got to do is have some guard code at the top unless you're using some other fancy feature um, to make sure it's not null and then i'll go ahead and call this stuff and so there's an operator and it's uh it's the question mark dot so instead of just you know like if the string was the identifier name was value instead of like value dot and then some method on it you you'd say value question mark dot and then and you can do that repeatedly if it chains if you're maybe calling a property on a property on a property you can continue doing that repeatedly and what it does, it kind of just protects you from the, the null reference exceptions by not actually trying to dot into the property or field if the, uh, the parent was null. So basically the, the first field or first property that, that it discovers or comes across in that whole dot chain that's null, it just returns null for the whole expression? Is that the end result? Yes. Yeah. So, or what you could do is you can combine it with the null coalescing, the two question marks, yeah, and maybe you know return some other value. Yep, yep. But um, but that's it, right? And and so the on stage, I saw the Microsoft folks calling it the Elvis operator, and so that name yeah. stuck in my head. I thought there were some other good ones though when we were talking. Yeah, about I, I was this. referring to it as the Riddler operator. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Riddler. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty good. So, so it, it's funny the way you just described it made this. When I first heard about this, and I've actually seen some people writing code like this. It was a little hard to follow. It was like, what is this thing? All right, so this is probably null, so don't do this. And just the way, the, the style, the way the guy was writing it, I found it kind of a hindrance to do it this way. But when you just described it, that you can go down three or four layers, it seemed like it made more sense to yeah. something you'd want to use. Particularly in something like a Lambda yep. expression, we may have a where clause or, all right, where, so if this return turns a good operator, now do this. It, it's kind of interesting, and I think it's, it's definitely something... Um, I think I would use. I guess ultimately, when we talk about all these things, it, it kind of really feels like all this is syntactic sugar, right? Yeah. It seems to be the magic, the magic oh, word yeah. now oh, in the Microsoft world. When we talked about TypeScript before, all this syntactic sugar, which I, I think is good. I mean, anytime we can make developers' lives easier, so with something like this with the null operator, I mean, I've got tired for years of writing if string is null, if string is empty. It was so nice yes. when they added the right. the if null is empty. So I actually was looking through some code. In, in you know it just not just on the job but also in repositories and sometimes you see like some really diligent developers are taking the discipline at the beginning of every method to be like well let let me run through yeah. the stuff in this method that I don't happen? expect to be null yep. and check that it's null and then let me also check if this property yep. on it is null and if its property is null 
And I, I imagine that in the past, the three of us might have complained about like, well, if you're having to dot into it that much, consider your design. But regardless, st- forget that. Yeah. Put that <laughs> aside. It's like yeah. you got to yeah. do it anyway. Yeah. So one interesting caveat to this operator that um, might slip by people is that you may think like, wow, this is pretty cool. Could I use it to to assign? Like if I had a like a contact that maybe had first name, last name, address, you know, fields on it, could I say contact? question dot last name and then assign it like that would be great if if it's you know but that doesn't actually kind of really make any sense so you can't you can't do that it it will actually be an error that uh, the the IDE will will say like what are you trying to do you can't use this on the left hand side a compile time error yeah you, you can't even yeah. compile so it's, it, it'll, it's yeah we actually we mentioned this uh, in in the null episode we mentioned this because I mentioned that the I have speaking back to the the syntactic sugar comment like i have a method right now i have an extension method on top of every object that i call with but basically yep. says you know go and it takes advantage of the fact that you can put an extension method on top of a null object mm-hmm. right so if you if you call that extension method and you say contact dot with if that extension object doesn't respects the fact that that contact instance um, could actually be null, then that's perfectly legitimate. It compiles fine and it runs just fine, yeah. um, even though it looks kind of weird. It looks like it should be a, a null reference exception. It takes advantage of that, and then the first line is, you know, if if the value that is getting passed in, if the value of this object that I'm extending with my extension method is null, then return that default value or return null or whatever, and so. I've gotten around this and I've been able to take those 20 lines of if else code um, down to basically one line, one, <laughs> one long line. The line can get pretty yes. long, but I just split it out into multiple lines, but it's still one line of, of continuous code and say, you know, contact.with and then in there you use a little lambda expression and say x.lastname or something like that, you know, yeah. contact.lastname or whatever. And it's the same, it's the same effect, but yep. it's still verbose. Like even if you do it that way, that you might consider syntactic sugar. Um, it's it's more of an extension method than actually syntax, but it's a little bit closer. But here, this con- condenses it down so much more that it's really it's 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 quite nice. My only fear with this thing is that you you might not notice it um, that you're doing it. I'm not really sure there's much of a downside of that though, right? So if you come into my code, if I use this no conditional operator. And to to escape something that is possibly null, and then you come into my code and you don't realize that's happening, what's the worst that can happen? Right, I'm guarding you against. I, I look null. at it as a trade off. Like I said, I've actually seen some developers starting to do this, and the hardest part I had would, was they were chaining a bunch of methods. So I was trying to learn the code that was going on. So the, this question mark yeah. made it a little hard to follow what was going on until you got the gist of what it was doing. So I, I think it's a trade-off, right? I mean, having all those extra lines of code can also get in a hindrance. Um, but I think if you start, I think the, what we, Chris said before, if you start going down three, four, five levels, then you probably still have a design problem you need to fix, right? Or some kind of yep. code smell. Yep. Um, this doesn't yeah. fix your no. design. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it shouldn't be a Band-Aid either. So like I said, if, if you yeah. have that layer, that's so many levels of things, then it's something to consider. Because ultimately, you need to deal with a null, right? Right. Even though you're returning null yeah. somewhere right, else up right. the chain, sooner or later, null usually means something isn't in the right condition, or if it's coming from the database, it's just empty, right? So um, you yep. got to be careful with it. It's like anything else, right? With, in moderation, it's the right solution, but if you overuse it, it can become 
worse. Make the code harder to read. Because ultimately, that's what all this stuff is about, right? Making code easier to read, easier to follow, writing less lines of code. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here's an easy one. There's a, the next the next feature we'll look at is real simple. It's it's use, It's basically an easier way to use static methods. So if you wanted to use console.writeline, you, you always have to type console.writeline. There's nothing you can do to just to just type right line. And it's because right line is a static method on the console object. So now we have this ability to say up in the in your using section where you're doing all you're, you're bringing in all the namespaces that you don't want to type. You can say using static system.console in this example. And then now in your code, you could just write right line and you would be able to, you know, now now just keep going in your head to anything else that before was a static method that you always had to identify the uh, parent class of you could you could pull that code out and that's that's it that's the end of that feature um i don't know about that the yeah this one really kind of troubles me i can see i mean in effect you're you're doing the same thing as you're doing with with namespaces right so rather than having typing out the full namespace of like a class you say you make one using statement and you just say here, you know, system.io dot blah, 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 dot blah, 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 right? And so you don't have to type that whole thing in every time. And now you're just bringing all of those items, all of those classes and enums and everything declared in that namespace into the current scope. So you can access access them without the full namespace. So that's the same thing that's happening here, but it's going the next level. And like right line is attached to console kind of for a reason. And it has some kind of context, right? The context it has, has a meaning to it. Yeah, it has a meaning. It has the context is that it's happening off of the console object, right? It's not, it's not an actual object. It's not an instance of an object. It's a class, but it's still, it's related to the, the, the concept of object orientation, right? So it's attached to this thing. So to bring this function and just kind of arbitrarily put it in the global scope, it kind of makes it weird. Maybe it's just because I'm not really, uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience in functional programming. Maybe it would feel a lot, a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot more comfortable if I, if I did have that background, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of context here. Well, here's what I was thinking. What if it was in the language from the beginning? Would it be weird? Yeah, it's a great question. So that's what I'm not sure about. Well, that's the, we will always be using it. So I, I thought of a couple of things. Um, one is what you just brought up, Jess, about console.writeline. So I wonder if you could use this with something like HTTP context. Could you make HTTP context to a static? Because that's a static, right? Yeah, and then say request. So then you'd response. have then you'd have current dot get request. That would get even more confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Because then you're kind of applying what is current, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I thought of is, and I'm trying to remember, I've definitely think I've used this a long time ago. You used to be able to alias namespaces. You used to be able to go like yes. using s equals da da whatever. Yeah. It yeah. kind of feels like a substitution for that. Yeah. Well, but you couldn't um, alias the actual class, though. I mean, you could alias no, the class. something you referred to, like even if you aliased it to c. Yeah. Yes. In c yes. dot right. Yeah, line. you had to then use your alias right. there. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's how you would do this pri- pre- previous to uh, C sharp yeah. six, is you would say using C equals system dot console, and then you say C dot right line. Now but the problem just, with that is the same problem. It becomes a, another level of abstraction. It doesn't yeah. make any sense yeah, unless yeah. you call it console, and then it's like, well, what's what's the purpose? What's, of doing yeah. This? What's the point? <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it it's funny. Is it's like I definitely think this is one of the things that I would yeah use the least. 
I think it would definitely add more confusion. I, than, than well, so I just I just have a hatred. Despite the name of this podcast, I have a <laughs> hatred of static across yes. the board. Like I I do <laughs> yes, everything I, I can to avoid the keywords, avoid the keyword static. And they're, 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 we named the podcast for a reason that because we hate static. <laughs> yeah, the void of static. Yes, exactly. There should only ever be one static and that's static mate. Uh-huh. And that's only because we have to. We're stuck with that. Yep, yep, yep. Can't get around that. <laughs> yeah, so here's another pretty simple one. Just the auto property initializers, which they're designed to say we, we've had auto properties for a while where instead of in the past, like if you go to the early days of .NET, you would... You'd create a property, a getter and a setter, and, and the only code in the getter and the setter would be to set and retrieve values from a backing variable, some private backing variable. Yeah. And so it was like this big deal when we got um, auto properties where we could just say get set. And then I don't actually think it was that long before a lot of us started to say like, oh, but I wanted the backing variable because I don't get immutability yeah. if I used, if I just throw right. get set, but right. whatever, <laughs> putting that aside. Auto property. Or I just wanted to have that one line of like logging yeah. code or something. It didn't really do anything. It was just one line right. of code. But, but auto property initializers are just simply you declare a getter you or you, you could declare a getter and then you, you follow it up with equals and then what you actually want to set it to. So this takes the place yeah. of maybe it's a awesome. read-only backing variable where you might have said, I want this immutable property and but what I'm going to have to do is I'm I'm going to have to make some kind of read only and either initialize it on the spot or initialize it through the constructor. Those were your options. So you can get some immutability yeah. that way if you said, you know, because get private set doesn't get you there. Anyone else can come to your class or struct later and use the private setter. Even though right, but then also yeah, even worse, the thing that has always annoyed me is that you now have to initialize that even if you did that the private set you would have to initialize it on another line. Mm-hmm. First of all, you wouldn't get that. You can't add the read-only, yep. right? You can't say read-only private set. Yep. You can only say private, which en- encapsulates it to your class, but you can still, right. you're able to access it in other places in your class and reassign it. But if you really truly want that immutable read-only instance, the only way to do you it to is give with up, a backing You variable. had to give up auto yeah. properties, basically. But even, even, even then, ignoring the read-only part, yeah. You're still, even if you just said the private set, you still have to set it in something like the constructor, mm-hmm. and it's somewhere else. It's on another line. Mm-hmm. So the real benefit for me is that it makes it more readable because it puts it all in the same line, Yep. and it makes it very explicit. I am initializing, I'm creating this, defining this this property, and I'm initializing it to this value. It's all right here. Nowhere else. You don't need to look anywhere else to see what the value is going to be when I create this new instance. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Nothing, yeah, no, nothing I huge this. about that I, one. And I think it's... I've always been really annoyed when I had to create a backing variable just because I wanted to do something like what you said, the, the read-only, or just add that like one line of code. Um, you know, if you wanted to like log every time a value was assigned. It's non-functional, right? It's totally just... Well, we're actually going to get to a, a feature later that I think is closer to what you're saying because... It's not quite the same. The auto property initializer is not quite the same as, like you just said, a property that you might use to just to just do some quick line of code. Oh, this is the oh yeah. yeah. But this is just yeah. Initializing. This is just initializing. But we'll setting. get to it. So, yeah, yeah. like the, the next, yeah. let's do the next easy feature because then we're going to get into some more complicated ones. So, so we have had many different ways to format strings. I mean, we've got string dot format, and from the beginning, we had to put the parameters that we were going to pass. We had to order them, and then 
dial them up zero one two and then have you ever run across code where maybe they'll reuse it so in the string it might be like zero one one two and then maybe they've gotten out of order <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or or to top it all off they stopped using the second one and so it's just gone but yet it's still getting passed so anyways we yep. had to deal with that um so we have a new way called string interpolation it kind of reminded me a little bit of the string literals where instead of using the uh, at sign we're using a, a dollar sign and without getting into what the code looks like instead of putting zero one two and then having to put a list of params at the end you just actually plop the parameter right into the string into the bright braces you even get intellisense with this that's that's amazing so, so instead of using string dot format and then adding like the yeah the curly braces zero one two and building those, those your string out whatever parameters it yeah it's a it's still a placeholder parameter yep. you're still using those curly braces just instead of zero one two, you're actually using the name of the of the variable that you want to put there. Yep. Yep. So there's no like matching up the zero index to the zero uh, the the first uh, parameter that you're passing into the string format pump function no. or the second one. It's a little bit closer kind of to confusing. like maybe if you just use string concatenation, except without having yeah, to do that. Right. Um, right. And and, and, right. and in no, some I, respects, I a little more readable. Love this. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely think this is definitely more readable because string cal- calculation is always was annoying to me. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well. It, it went, it always it always scared me, right? It's always for exactly the reason that you just said, Chris, is like what if I get this wrong or what if somebody comes in and kind of like changes the the value or, or the position? It really it always has bitten me when I add another one, you know, add or remove yeah. one of the indexes and either forget to change yeah. the, the How many are there again? Are what is this in. 3? Yeah. Yeah, or which what place yeah. was this? Cuz I've gotten into some pretty crazy ones where there's like 3 4 5 6, you know, different <laughs> placeholders and you're like, "What? Yeah. Where, which one is matching up?" But I actually I use this uh this feature a lot in 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 JavaScript right. in in ECMAScript uh, 2015 and in TypeScript. Um but I'm I'm loving it in C Sharp too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it definitely is definitely think this is the one feature I'd notice. I'm like, yeah, this is the one I definitely want to be using. Yeah, yeah it's one, you, yeah. I, I it's one that I find like um, already when I head back to a project that for whatever reason has not moved up from 2013, I, I miss yeah. this like right away. I go, oh, man. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I, well, I feel the same format. way in the browser too when I'm in like ECMAScript 5 or something like that. But this, this, is, this goes for me a little bit beyond syntactic sugar. Even though it is syntactic yes. sugar, this can actually help you avoid like some right. pretty serious like so there's serious bugs. It's interesting because I think what we're identifying here is there's there's two things that that when we've seen features added to the language, sometimes it's a productivity boost, at least that's the idea. Like you might argue that the null conditional stuff or maybe the using static stuff was a quote unquote productivity boost because you typed a little less. But here we're actually saying avoiding errors, which is yeah. way better. Yeah, you know that. that yeah, well, that's way more value you're, in avoiding errors. Like, oh wow, this is yeah. a feature I want. Theoretically, you're avoiding errors with the null conditional operator too. But it's you have to have the the mindset and the wherewithal to actually put in the null conditional operator to to think about the fact that this could be null. In which case, if you're already thinking along those lines, then you're probably putting the if then statement in to check for null in the first place. Right. Whereas this is like this is literally string dot format was the only way to do it before. And now you have a better way, right? This is right. And plus, I mean, when when you look at the code like this, after a while, like I said, once you get used to it, it if it's more readable, right? Yep. It's very clear now. Yep. In the example we have, first name, last name, ID. Instead of before, you'd have the parentheses zero one, then you'd have to go scrolling over to the right to see what was what. Yeah. So it's now this is definitely one of the features I think is 
Yeah. Nice to have. Well, in, in, in one in. project that I worked on, just like we had an extension for uh, the null conditional operator, that with extension method, yeah. we actually had um, our own kind of formatter, our string formatter, that you could use the same format. It wasn't literally the same, right? It wasn't literally like a drop-in replacement, and it certainly didn't have IntelliSense and stuff, obviously. But instead of using 0, 1, 2 as placeholders, we used the name of the of the variable but then you mm-hmm. incurred some like reflection cost to actually oh, yeah. figure that out. And that reflection cost was worth it to us because mm. of the bugs yeah. that, that you avoided by doing yeah. this. So now you get compiler time. Yeah. That yeah. same things at runtime. Yep. So yeah. we were talking a little bit about the auto, the auto uh, initialized properties, something that it's going to look familiar at first. And I think probably everybody listening, you're going to have no choice really here, but to run out and Google or Bing and say, what is an expression bodied member? Yeah. Right. So that sounds really complicated expression bodied members, but but what they are is they are either properties or fields in your class that you basically initialize with a little Lambda. So instead of saying, um, Jess was just talking about, and and I think you could do this with this is is you were saying, I want to have, some field or property that just is just a one-liner. It just goes out and it just logs. And I'm sick and tired of having to have written that out as a full-bodied function. So with an expression-bodied member, you would declare it, and then you use the Anders symbol, as Scott Hanselman calls it, which is yeah. the, the arrow <laughs> pointing to the right. The fat and, arrow. Yes, and you write function. the line of code. You write the line of code. Right, the fat arrow in CoffeeScript, or uh, Douglas Crockford likes yeah. to call it the fart operator. So... <laughs> You get you get funnies from either side, right? Either the Anders operator. Or, the Anders yeah. operator is is the definitely the the, uh, the yeah. official name. So, <laughs> yeah, then so you can do this with void methods. You can do it with things that return. In a way, it's like it's interesting. It's like saying like you know, instead of me building this function and then or method and then having to go use it in a lambda, well, why not just put it all in one? You can also do it as a property too. Uh, you can have expression bodied member properties that are maybe uh that 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 good old full name which concatenates the first name and last name property in some person object you just bring it all together in a yeah. in a little lambda looking thing where you say instead of actually writing out the getter for for that property yeah. you just say That's well awesome. this is what you'd actually go do so yeah th- this is kind of cool i actually yeah. been working on a code a code base that hadn't used a lot of this and i can say at first it came very hard to follow what's going on and I think it's because simply they overused it. I mean, literally sure. every I'd call and I'd step into something, and then from there I would jump to another class, and it would use it there. And it just I needed to trace through all the code, and trying to trace through all the code, all of a sudden it's just like every time there's this this lambda expression. So I would definitely warn people that with any of this stuff, use it where it makes sense to use it, but don't overuse it. You can definitely get yeah. carried away, um, particularly if you're, if you're not if people aren't using it haven't used it before missing the return statement you're like what's going on um and the code base i'm talking about what they went even a step further they actually used the kind of like a called a javascript function pointer they declared a function and then somewhere else in the code where the function is and i like that doesn't make any sense to me if i have to scroll around to see where your function is and getting a look at the code it's it's like a level of indirection yeah. It's like we're talking about before, like logging or something where, where it's almost self-describing. Like, okay, I'm going to call the logger. Well, that makes sense, right? Or initializing a property. But if you're actually going to need to have a, a true method with like 
10, 15 lines of code, don't just declare your function up top and then you have to let the developer scroll around to find it. So it definitely yeah, is. I think it's definitely meant for those like one liners that you were right. There's a lot of ceremony to the one liner of, okay, braces and whatever, where am I going to put it? It's like, well, maybe you could group these. Like we, we tend to group our fields and properties at the top of a class. You could group these one, you could find a nice home for those near the top of the class. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that would be, I mean, I haven't had enough experience to say yet if I'm going to look back on it and say, oh, this has caused a lot of clutter, but it's interesting. We'll have to yeah. see. It's I, I definitely get it. Idea. I think for certain cases it would make sense, but if you're going to have a true method, it's better to have just the method there. Don't have a level of indirection. Right. It makes it harder to debug. Yeah. So that's expression bodied members. You almost have to look at them to see them. Yes. They're like <laughs> fields and properties that are that are defined as a lambda looking thing to call it a lambda would not be correct. So I won't do that. Uh, So let's do, let's do an easy one. I, I actually have been, been joking that this is the, this is the WCF operator. (laughs) It's called the name of operator. And, and all it is, is that if you take this new name of operator and put in parentheses, Uh a, a field, it's going to return a string with that field name minus the reflection. So I notify property changed. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, like, like, you know, so instead of having to go and put strings in there and then, oh, we changed the name of the property. So let's go change the name of the strings everywhere. And people would come up with creative solutions to not have to deal with this. Um, I've seen solutions involving lambdas or maybe centralized files where, you know, we're going to put all of these things so that we're, or the war will rely on reflection. And this is saying, like, forget all that. Let's do it at compile time. <laughs> Makes sense, right? I mean, that's, yeah. again, you're being very explicit what you want to do here. So Another example that I saw was when you throw an argument exception, you often, by convention, or at least the exception itself, is asking you to supply the name of the argument. So what are you going to do? Put that in a string? Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately you what you use, do. You use name of and the thing. And so then that way later when you go and do a refactoring and change the name of that identifier, you get that change for free in your exception and i would assume I you, would get, you would get compiler too right if i got rid of the contact and called it contact two or something i would assume I would get yeah compiler. like let's say you just have some identifier called yeah right it, it's now it's called contact and you rename it like you said but you forget you do you weren't using a refactoring tool and you forget to do it here well now it's not an identifier anymore it's going to blow up yeah or if you said it was a string before you would the string was just whatever you called it yeah so to be very clear when you mentioned earlier let's do it at compile time this is literally this is converting down into the string at compile time, the string of the name of the uh, of the variable or the method or whatever. Yeah, we probably should have looked at the IL. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, but this. All right, we're just, if we can start talking about code. We're not getting into the IL, all right? We're not moving and popping things. And... Yeah, but this is. I mean, it's a compile time thing, right? That's not actually like a runtime check that uh, that uses reflection to go and convert it to a to find out what type it is or what the variable is, and then. Uh, and then convert it to a string. It actually happens at compile time with no runtime yeah. overhead. And if it works that way, then it's really super awesome <laughs> and helpful. <laughs> We're not a harm sensor. Right. I just want to make it clear that we don't we did not double check on that one. Yeah. At least I didn't. I'm willing to I'm willing to put money down on that's how it works. Yeah, I'd like to think that's how it works. It makes too much sense, right? It it wouldn't be much useful yeah. if it didn't work that yeah. way. So here's a super simple one and it's a pop quiz for everyone if you didn't know already, is that when you decide to jump into the world of async and await and you mark a method with the async keyword, 
and then you await awaitable methods. You cannot use await in catch or finally blocks yeah. until C sharp six. And you know, if you've decided to really take advantage of it, that can be annoying to say, oh, we're doing all of this uh, IO and we're doing it asynchronously. Oh, but wait, if I want to log <laughs> in a catch <laughs> yeah. block, yeah. I can't do it that way. Yeah. But so, that the real description for this is you couldn't do it before and now you can. And now you can do what you thought you probably <laughs> right, could right. have done until this is what the first time you tried it, yeah. and then it didn't work. This is the thing you tried to do, and you oh, why isn't it there? And now yeah. you don't and then do moved that on, anymore. And yeah. And then now you, now you get All right, awesome. But now here's something that I actually thought was kind of a, a neat idea, and I've even seen some places in code that I said, you know, this could be useful, is exception filters. And so this is adding a when and i believe it's actually a keyword a when but it's i think it's one of c sharp's famous context sensitive keywords so uh, a when keyword that comes after a catch declaration so you're you're saying you got some try block and you're in your catch you're saying i'm going to catch a file not found exception that's what i'm going to catch well now you got you know you're catching them all but the reality is is how many times have you written a catch block and you actually are really only going to take an action in a certain case of the exception and the rest of the time you're just going to rethrow. I mean that that actually has happened to me a lot in SQL exceptions. Yeah. There are specific ones that we're going to we're going to take specific action on. Um in fact just you know it could be like uh we're we're catching we're going to check to see if it's a deadlock exception and do something versus whether it was something else that well we don't actually didn't really think about what to do here so let's just rethrow it. So using this when you get to put a little conditional and now the catch block only fires when the conditional is met. So in my case, I would have said catch SQL exception when, and since uh, let's just say that it was catch SQL exception EX. So now I've said that the SQL exception is going to be identified as EX. I can go dot into the EX, check out the error I was looking for. Oh, wait, it is that deadlock error that we're interested in that we we have some logic to handle. Let me deal with it. Otherwise, I don't want to write any code. Yeah, right. I don't want right. to even it, if just, you're, and figure out what you're to just do. letting it. You're just letting it lo fall through to the the final uh, catch-all exception if you yeah. have one. Yeah, I mean, you you normally start writing case statements and if conditions in your catch block, which which is this leads leads the road to hell. <laughs> yeah, I found myself using this when I was doing. Uh, I forget it was a, it was it was last year. Sometimes I was doing. Um, some uh, HTTP request. I forget exactly what the class was, but I would any, any error that came back, um, it would go into a catch block, and all I could catch is that specific error, that HTTP exception error, or something like that, right? And all I really wanted to catch was if the HTTP exception error was this response code. So it would throw mm -hmm. an exception yep. for a whole bunch of response codes but mm -hmm. I wanted to go and filter down and say, well, if it's these three response codes, then that's not actually really an exception in my case, right? That's like a, a quote, valid response code. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's an error, but it's something that yeah. I actually have logic to handle. Right. Whereas if it's any other response code, then yeah, that's not something I'm handling. That's a valid quote exception. That's an exceptional case that I wasn't really prepared to handle. So let that flow through either to my, my, uh, my default exception handler, right? My more generalized one, or just let it bubble up. Yeah, you definitely what you described there is definitely when you're dealing with HTTP requests. That's definitely somewhere I could see you. Yeah, having something like this would definitely be useful. More explicit. 
Yeah, that one has potential. I I I like the idea of cutting out um, branching code. You know, just you know, like you said, the if check. We've said it a few times. Is the if check that's kind of unneeded, and it's really just noise in the code when you can a little more declaratively say, "Hey, I want this exception, but in this case, otherwise." Don't well, my problem has always has been like, once you get into the catch, what do you do then? If the, if you realize yeah. that once you've gotten in there that you can't handle it, then what? You rethrow? You know, like you can't just bubble down into the next one. Yeah, you had complicated logic. Yeah, he, there's you can get correct carried away. Right. Well, in this case, I had to write logic. I actually extracted it into a different method. But had I put it all in line, it would have been like 40 lines long of conditional catch logic, right? Yeah. When all I was really doing, I, I should have had just two or three or four different catches with these when conditions on them to say when the response code is this, then do this. When the response code is this, otherwise just let it go. Yeah. You know, and you make a really good point about catch blocks that I think sometimes goes um it's just it's so easy to just create them like oh let me just throw a try crouch around this when when you've entered a catch block you've now committed yourself if you want your code to work anyways you've committed yourself to now dealing with it yeah the very last thing you want to do is rethrow another cat uh, rethrow another kind of exception you've pretty much said yeah you've said to the code i'm going to deal with it because not only that there's a finally block hopefully coming up afterwards yep um because we probably as developers don't finally enough and we should see a lot more try finally in our code and a lot less try catch and look i'm guilty but i try to think of it that way is i want to see a lot more of that well that's a whole other discussion around where do you put try catch (laughs) that's like it's like an exception show right yeah Yeah, we had an hour on nulls why not an hour on exceptions so uh there's one more chris there's one more. There's one more that I skipped over, and the reason why was because uh, I think we would deal with it pretty quickly. They're called dictionary initializers. We've always had some code, the ability to create a dictionary, and to go ahead and create the items right in there, and we can even, you know, attach their keys and their values. And there's just it's just a little bit of like slightly different syntax to declare the keys. That's what I'm getting out of this, and. I looked at it and I said, okay, I wasn't even a hundred percent sure that it was that much cleaner. I mean, I don't hate it. It's a couple less curly brackets, yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think like, this eh. is the, one of those ones where like, we're really not going to be able to explain this. Oh no, you in, have to go look at it. Podca- you got to look at it. You got to go look but at honestly, it. But uh, honestly, personally for me, I would say, don't even bother going and looking <laughs> at it. <laughs> I mean, it's a feature that's there and, you know, one of your teammates might use it. So you should probably be familiar with it. But like, I don't I just don't see how this is even considered syntactic sugar. It's just a different syntax. I don't I see mean, what it buys you. I don't, instead of equals. I mean, you have a few less curly brackets, right? You end up with right. A few less curly brackets. Two. Yeah, so. that's all it is. I don't think you would be confused by it, though. Like if you ran across it without explanation, would you be like, I don't yeah, know what right, happened here, sure. which is at least good. Compared to the alternative of like, what? Which certainly yeah. the first time many developers saw Link or Lambdas. I yeah. mean, it was time out. What, what <laughs> is going on? What did you do? What's wrong with you? I hate you. Yeah. Or how many yeah. conversations did you have about, oh, wait, you know, now that you're using VAR, that means it's dynamic. No, no, no. <laughs> it is not VAR. Yeah, that, that's definitely the one that throws people off. Yeah. So... Well, and link. I'm still. I just last month had it had an issue with a link statement because developers still don't necessarily understand that it's actually an evaluated expression. That it may be evaluated mm-hmm. later, not yes. right there when yeah, you're right. 
when you are defining it. It's right? lazy so, in a lot of yeah, cases. it has a functional effect on your code. This doesn't really, at least I don't, I assume it doesn't. So I, I definitely can say of all these things that they're all, I think, pretty interesting and pretty useful, but definitely the uh, the Andres character the function direction is something that's, if you're not expecting it and all of a sudden you start reading code, you're like, what the heck's going on? Oh, you yeah. can kind of figure it out if you use the link enough, but it definitely is one of those things that it can throw you off. You can Looks like you're looking at a coffee script file. <laughs> well, no, it, it's funny. It's like, hey, I feel like I'm running JavaScript now. I'm redirecting yeah. to a function. And it's well, just... that operator is making its way into it's made its way into Java. Yeah. It's yeah. made its way into JavaScript. C C C plus plus has it too. And again, co- coffee script has both the fat and thin arrow. Yeah. Where I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's gonna really confuse people. <laughs> well, and there's a reason for it, which I cannot. Uh, I'm not going to be able to explain right now because <laughs> I don't even know it. It's like it's one of those things where when you explained it to me, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. But I don't know right now. So. Java has it. JavaScript has it now. I mean, it's that syntax has yeah. infected everything. Yeah. You said even C++, I think, I, did, I can't remember which version, but I know the, the one they added a couple years ago, 2013, I think, it or 15 or something. I came across, I'm like, oh, they're putting a lot of C-sharp stuff in the C++. Well, as long as they all mean roughly the same thing. I mean, if you start using different operators, yes. the same operator for different... <laughs> things that, that can be a problem <laughs> we um, all get confused very quickly <laughs> you so, mean like the cnc out stuff <laughs> <laughs> exactly so one thing we, we we talked about in the pre-show we didn't talk about now is um when people go out and start looking to find out what's happening in c sharp 6 or anything really nowadays is make sure you're getting the latest information yeah right because we could, we all googled and we found three or four different things that we weren't sure if we're in in or in got, released or not released it's very important to and like we did this a little bit in the pre-show actually try stuff out just don't blindly take something that's written on the internet as oh it's in here now great i can use it no you really need to actually verify yeah, yourself almost yeah, yeah beware a little bit with c sharp six would be my advice because you will google and you will find msdn articles and guess what some of features got cut, cut. Yeah. a feature we were all looking forward to um which was called uh, uh default constructors right uh or well basically the idea was was that you could create structs without a with default the, constructor and it got cut and then there was another there were other features about constructor isms that got cut like there's one called primary constructors and explicit constructors and they were cut so you you might read some very passionate articles that were written even in the 2014 2015 time frame early 2015 time frame talking about how great it's going to be to have uh, I enumerable params and then go try them and you will, you will not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be wasting your time. There's lots of uh, miscommunication. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the key advice is be careful. There's a lot of older articles, um, actually not that old, that reference C sharp six features and they'll tell you how to get it all working yeah. in VS 2013. But the modern story, you can use the compiler's NuGet package it does work uh, in VS 2013. You just don't get kind of the IDE context and maybe some of the IntelliSense for things like string interpolation. I did notice that ReSharper Ultimate stepped in and noticed and enabled some C Sharp 6 help. So a lot of folks have that, and that's helpful. But, you know, no question the very best experience is VS 2015. Well, even code, right? Even Visual Studio Code, you can 
Well, in twenty fifteen is free, right? So. right? There's there's several free full versions of of twenty fifteen. There's the community edition now, so there's really no excuse to to not use it. I say that whereas at work we're still on twenty thirteen for for various reasons. That's not unusual for, I mean, plenty of folks listening right now, or even, you know, teams that I am on are on VS 2013. In fact, Mm -hmm. how many people listening right now are saying, what What are you, 2013? Man, we're (laughs) still using 2010. That's not unusual. Somebody that was using 2005, I guess. I think they were at 2. They were at .NET 2.0. Yeah. Well, and that's that's a different problem altogether because yes. obviously if two out of the three of us are still using it and Todd still comes across it, then clearly we don't have an answer for how to fix that problem. <laughs> no, I mean, I would tell people what the same thing I tell people about when you talk about versions of, of uh, web browsers. The days of you, you pick a web browser, you pick whatever software and you stick with it for five years, those days are over. Yeah, You, you really need to, you're, you're in the, the world we live in today with security and a bunch of other things, a year, two years max, really is where you should be yeah. adopting. The yeah. the idea that somebody in the ivory tower picks a version of .NET or IE version and you stick with it forever is just, it's yeah. kind of productive. <laughs> well, yeah, for the, me, the thing is that in almost all cases, I'm, I'm hesitant to say all cases, but I believe it might be all cases. If you're using a paid version of Visual Studio, you actually have... A, a license for MSDN that comes across with that is that just completely false? I mean, are you as far guys... as I know, if you have TFS, almost it's always, yeah. So if you're using Visual Studio, right. a full blood, full fledged right. version of Visual Studio, you have access to 2015 from a legal standpoint, right? Yeah, I I can tell you, I know of some organizations personally that they went out and bought the boxed Visual Studio Professional. Yeah, and that and and when you buy that box. You're not. Yeah, buying, I'm not saying MSDN no, no, with a Visual Studio Professional. I'm saying yeah. Visual Studio Professional. Then you know that sticks you to that license. Yeah. My my only setting has always been if you have a TFS license, you need an MSDN license to get TFS. So certainly harder you, to get. You're paying the thousands of dollars for it. You should be using the latest stuff. If you've got Visual Studio so. on your machine and you're checking code into a TFS version that and you have more than like five people on your team and you're not using all the community stuff or the BizSpark stuff or what? Well, even BizSpark is yeah. a you got MSDN licences. Or using then TFS you, online or something if you're internally. License. And yeah, you pretty much as far as I understand, you definitely have the license. Yeah. So then it just becomes a the matter of internal uh policy and <laughs> <Yes>. politics. And <laughs> the normal yeah. everyday things to deal with. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're saying is you cannot use all these new fancy things, so you're stuck on twenty thirteen, is what you're saying. I am saying that, which means that I've still got code where I'm using my dot with uh, extension <laughs> method instead of this uh, Elvis operator. So, we, tight little tangent here, something that I thought was kind of interesting, we're talking about versioning a thing, is the fact that Microsoft seems to be pushing the idea of getting people to the latest versions of stuff. Like yeah. .NET, I think it's 4.6 yeah. and 4.5.1.2 or something is the only really supported stuff yeah. anymore. Pretty much ASP.NET is a new version every quarter, right? So, And then they add .NET Core. Um, let's just, let's just yeah, create a whole let's... new version of the same <laughs> framework. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So wrapping up C-Sharp 6, looking ahead to C-Sharp 7. Because C-Sharp 7 proposals, this is going to feel more like a major release again. Uh, on, right on the GitHub repo and can contribute if you want to talk about it. But we're talking about bringing... Um, what looks to me like a lot of functional constructs to C-sharp. Interesting. I'm not yeah. definitely ready to, to speak about it, but interesting to see like, hey, is this, and why is the language moving in this direction? Like, what is it about C-sharp 
is it just because we have to iterate? Like, what's the future of so C sharp? I, I find it interesting. We talk a lot about um, C sharp becoming functional, right? I mean, you can almost see it that over the years it's become more and more functional. And recently, I had sort of an epiphany about that, and it was because somebody wanted to still use VB.net for stuff. And I'm like, is the reason why they're bringing a lot of the F sharp type stuff in the C sharp is that it'll get more adoption? Because if you tell people, okay, C sharp is here, it does what it does, now start using F sharp for these other things or scale or whatever else. Developers are very married to their language, right? I'm a C-sharp developer. Yeah. That's how you almost describe yourself. Yeah. And so it, it, I had this epiphany that maybe that's part of the, the reason why they keep adding more and more stuff. And the fact, really, what else can they add? <laughs> There's not much more. I mean, there's only so much more synthetic sugar you can add. That maybe part of the idea is they want developers to start using these practices. I think awaits another good example. Um, but they realize if you tell developers to switch languages, there's a level of barrier, right? Even going for JavaScript, I'm still having people tell me, like, I don't want to learn JavaScript. You've done it for mm -hmm. years. No, I don't want to learn it, though. I just want to do my normal web form stuff. So um, I definitely think that that's, at least in my opinion, is that some of the driver behind that. They realize if they start putting more and more stuff into C Sharp, it will get more adoption versus telling people to switch languages for different things. Again, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I saw a talk, Todd and I actually saw a talk way back at PDC, I think it was 08, where Anders got up in stage and announced this compiler as a service, where you can go in and call a service to say, here's a chunk of, of text that is C-sharp code, go compile it, run it, and tell me what the result is, and actually kind of integrate with it. And you can do this, you could have done this before, right? You can do this before, Rosalind, with the, the code DOM, and I've done that before, basically use reflection to to build code and execute code. Um, but this is, it's really complicated. Yeah, you got to like understand code DOM and it's its insane. I, I still can't believe to this day that I actually did it because I definitely could not go and write it today even though I did, you know, dozens of hours, hundreds of hours of it before um, because it is so complicated. But this allows you to just write C-sharp code and just say, hey, go run this, right? And let me know. Well, one thing I definitely want to do is I want to thank Steve McLeotti, who's a, ASP.NET MVP. Uh, and the reason why I want to thank him is, first of all, he came up to Philly.NET and to talk about C Sharp 6, which helped me gather a lot of notes. That was awesome. So thank you, Steve. But also, we're going to include his link to uh, his slide and code because he gives this presentation kind of up and down the East Coast. He's uh, based out of the DC slash Virginia area. He's a, he's a good friend uh, to a lot of us in this area. So, you know, um, the thing that was great about it is we talked about how difficult it was to find definitive documentation that was not just correct, but like came up high in searches. And you looked at Steve's stuff and said, wow, he put this all in one yeah. place. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> and don't be surprised if you hear him on the show at some point. <laughs> so I wanted to jump back real quick to, uh, you'd mentioned Rosalind and bringing stuff into bringing code analysis into visual studio and this is something that you and I have talked about. And I want to bring it up on the podcast because maybe now we have a little bit more of an audience. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah. We have talked about making an open source resharper built on top of, of, uh, of Rosalind. And the reason we've talked about this, and my, Microsoft folks themselves, right. Chris, you mentioned you talked to, to a couple of people at Microsoft who basically said, yeah, go do it, is that they've already given all the framework. So the different, the difficult part of you know, ReSharper, the product, is just like all the wiring and everything that you got to wire into Visual Studio. Rosalind gives you all of that. Visual Studio 2015 gives you all of that. It's just waiting to be extended. 
heck, even the new project templates literally have like, I don't know what the folder's called. I think it's called like extensions or compiler extensions or something. It's just there waiting, begging to be used. And the only thing to do is just is use it. And so we've talked about building a library of just kind of shared open source library of shared uh, refactorings that basically just re-implement the, the features of ReSharper. Yeah, it makes you wonder if it would be useful to a lot of people to say, I mean, especially if you have an organization that says, oh, yeah, we, we get you the compilers, but we don't get you any tools. I mean, that's an <laughs> epidemic as well. We could probably do a whole show on that. But I think that's uh, I think that's it for this one. Sounds like that's a show. Uh, so you, listener, what do you think? Have you used C-sharp 6? If so, what's your take? Has it helped you write cleaner, better code, or has it even like affected you at all? Have you used it and just... Nothing has changed. Uh, we'd love <laughs> or are to you know. still using 2010? Yeah, right. Or are you still on Visual Studio 2015? <laughs> or are you stuck or in 2013? VB6 <laughs> listeners, so comment. We would love to know. Yes, please leave us a comment on the website, <laughs> staticvoidpodcast.com, or send an email to comments at staticvoidpodcast.com. And as always, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please feel free to let us know through those same channels. We want to make sure that we're talking about the things that you actually want to hear about. So, Todd, Chris, thanks for the chat. Yeah, thank you. Yep, it's been nice. And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Void Podcast.